So one of the awesome privileges that I have had uh, being part of this community in the past two and a half years is um, as not only leading as the high school pastor over at New Vintage Church, um, part of my role there is I've gotten the privilege to mentor young men at Montgomery High School, specifically the football program. Um, I've been um, allowed to uh, be a coach, semi-mentor um, to these young men, and I, and I walk them through life. So I'm not just there... Um, during the season, but I'm also there outside of the season, mentoring them, grabbing lunch with them, um, caring for them, helping them however I can. But during the season, um, every week, I give them a little bit of a lesson or a motivational talk to get them into the week. Um, and one of the places where I um, get information from or leverage um, examples from is from old um, ancient groups of soldiers or ancient warfare. And one of my favorite groups to lean on are the Spartans. Um, the Spartans were known for their um, ability in battle. They were highly skilled, highly experienced soldiers. They were considered to be some of the greatest um, soldiers in the Greek world. And there are certain things about the Spartans you do not want your children to know or you <laughs> want to teach your children. But there are other things about their leadership, their discipline, and how they fought with fought together um, I've learned, um, I've used to teach Students, And one of the things that I find fascinating, I'm going to give you some, some interesting facts, and this is an example of them in warfare, but one of the interesting things um, that I've learned about Spartans is that um, every abled man in Sparta was, um, was made to join the army at the age of seven. They would start training from seven till they were 20 years old. Every one of them was an expert in warfare. And from 20, they will serve all the way till they were 60. And as a young um, soldier at the age of 20, once, once they were um, now officially part of the army and went through the rite of passage to officially become a soldier, these are the things that were handed to the Spartan soldiers. Um, they, as soon as they joined the army, the army ranks, they were handed a sword, a long spear, a large bronze helmet, a breastplate, and ankle guards, and last but most importantly, a circular bronze shield known, known as an espis. And the way that they would use this espis is they would put it on their left hand or their left arm, and it would cover part of their body, but it would cover the other half of the shield would cover the soldier next to them. And this was so important in their warfare, that the soldiers, the Spartan soldiers, were named hoplites, which means shield bearer. It was part of their identity. That when they would go off to war, their mothers and their wives would tell these young soldiers, either come back with your shield or come back on it. Because the greatest disservice to not only the nation but to their fellow soldier was not being able to cover the man that was next to you. You know, when I think about that, as I, as I realize how important that is in battle, how much more is that important when it comes to the spiritual battles that we face? That every single one of us in this room, at some point in our faith journey, we needed somebody to cover us. That we needed somebody to lift up a shield of faith, to lift up a shield of prayer to cover us for us to get to this 
point. And as I think about that, I, I also realize that we may not always be in that space or living in that reality. I'm going to talk about a different group of people that were living the opposite of this, that a man by the name of James, Jesus' brother, writes a letter to these groups of people. See, these groups of people had decided that they were going to have a mindset of every man for themselves, that their priority and their focus was just to do whatever they could to get by. Their focus was on themselves. And James is writing a letter to a people that profess faith in Jesus, but are living the opposite of what they are professing. And, and, and to be fair to these people, these are a group of Jewish Christians that have been dispersed out into Palestine. They're out of their home. And as they are, as they are not living in Jerusalem, they are being not only, they're not only living in poverty, but they're also living oppressed. And what has happened is the actions that have been happening to them outwardly has now affected the way that they treat each other inwardly. That the church is, that, that these churches are filled with corruption, that they're filled with hypocrisy, that they're filled with acts, wrong acts towards each other and pride against each other. And when I look at this letter that James is writing, growing up, I would often judge these people. I'd often look at these people and say, look at them, they're full of corruption, they're full of hypocrisy, they're filled with pride. And then I got older and I started looking at myself in the mirror. And I started seeing what it looks like when I'm not aligned with Jesus, when I'm not walking in Christian community, what I was like before I started committing and being a part of the church, that my life was filled with corruption, that my life was filled with hypocrisy, that my life was filled with pride. And even to this day, let's be honest, saints, let's be honest, to this day, some of us still fight those things. To this day, some of us still fight those types of battles. And the reason why is because we do the same thing that they were trying to do. When the circumstances of life start hitting us, when things start happening in a way that we did not predict or did not plan, when life hits, in those moments, we have an option whether to either give it to God or hold on to it. And for some of us, we have been waiting on God for so long, we've decided to start taking things into our own hands. And this society is what it looks like when we decide to stop waiting on God and start taking things into our own hands. Have you ever been there? Have you ever told yourself, man, I'm, I'm waiting on God and I want to wait on God but at this point, I got to start, I got to start doing my own thing. I got to start figuring it out. I got to take this into my own hands. Maybe you're in a season of singleness. I'm telling you my early 20s, before my wife, I was taking a lot of things into my own hands, okay? And maybe you're, you're in that season of singleness and, you're, and you know the Holy Spirit is telling you to wait. And this person walks by and you're like, I don't know. It's winter. It's cold out here, okay? And they walk by and you're thinking, man, I think that might be my Boaz. But the Holy Spirit knows he's just a broke ass. <laughs> right? But there's a part of you that has gotten to a point where waiting on the Lord is, is, is too difficult. And you're starting to try to take things into your own hands. 
Now, that's a silly example, and it's made to, just to have a little fun. And for some of us, that is a reality. We're waiting on God, and we're like, man, God, where are you? For some of us, it may look a little bit different. For some of us, we have been faithfully showing up to our workplaces. We have faithfully been doing the things that we needed to do at work and working towards uh, trying to work up the career ladder. And we have been faithful and working hard and doing it with godly integrity. But when we look around us, that they, when we look around us, there's a group of people that are making, that are taking shortcuts that are living in a way that is corrupt, that are living in a way that is anti what we believe and are living against the integrity of God. And we think to ourselves, what if I just played the game a little bit? What if I just did what they were doing? What if I took those shortcuts? What if I was willing just to compromise just a little bit the things that I know to be right, the things that I know to be godly? And some of us right now are at that line or even crossing that line of starting to take things into our own hands. We know what God has called us to, but yet we are leaning to taking things into our own hands. Some of us in this room have just recently or just a little while ago received that diagnosis, received that thing that keeps us up at night, received that report from that doctor, and, and, and we have been trying to keep our faith, to hold on. But the longer it keeps going, the more that we start start really having a hard time stepping into places like this and generally praying. And even though our bodies are here, our minds and our hearts are no longer here. Because right now we are taking things into our own hands and we're living however we need to just to get by. We are losing our faith. Have you ever been there where you were waiting on the Lord, but you decided to take things into your own hands? This is who James is writing to. And as he's writing to this people, in James chapter 5, verse 13, this is where I jump in. And James says this. He says, are any of you suffering hardships? If this year is, is, starting off, is not starting off the way that you thought it would, you're going from one problem to another problem. And you don't know where to turn. You don't know where to go. You don't know who to call to. This is what James tells us to do. You should pray. Bring it to God. Bring it to God. If you got nowhere else to go to, if you got nowhere else to go, if you've, if you've been going from difficulty to difficulty, don't give up now. Bring it to God. Now, if you're on the flip side, if, if any of you are happy, are any of you happy, if this year 2024 has already been your year, you can feel it. If, you, if king, you are killing it. If queen, if you are in your victory era, okay? What he tells us to do is, I like, I like how y'all clap for that. That's good. That's good. Praise God. What he tells us to do is you should sing praise. He says, bring. Bring your joy. Bring your victory. Bring what the Lord has done. Bring your testimony. Bring it. Bring it to places like this, whether you're going through hardships or whether you're going, whether you're, you're experiencing victory, give it to God. Because here's what happens when we come together collectively in spaces like this, when we're going through hardships or, or we're experiencing victory. You see, your prayer through hardship boldens my prayer. It gives me more confidence in God. And your rejoicing and your testimony lets me know what God is capable of. It helps me hold on. 
So when we lean into God collectively, we give God the glory. So bring, so bring it. These are the things that we are called to bring individually. But it doesn't stop there because he's about to jump into the things that we are called to bring collectively. In verse 14, he says, are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer, such a prayer offered in faith would heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. I'm going to pause right there. The wording that is used for the Lord will make you well is the same wording that is used in Matthew chapter 9 verses 21 and 22 in the story of the woman with the issue of blood. She, she believed that if she, was, if she was able to touch the hem of Jesus' garment, that she would be made well. Well doesn't just speak of just her health, but it speaks of wholeness. And that's why it's brought up here is because it's not just a physical healing. But it also speaks about forgiveness. It is a spiritual healing. God's not trying to get you halfway. He's trying to get you all the way. He's trying to get you whole. So therefore, it continues in verse 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. That if we are willing to step into faith earnestly, we can see the power of God within our community. But the power is not, is not in the elders. Please pay attention to this. It is not in the elders. The power is not in the oil. The power is not in the confession. And the power is not in faith alone. The power is in who you have faith in. The power is in whose name we confess to, in Jesus' name. The power is in who we anoint the oil under. You can use, we can use whatever you want oil you want to use. You can use grandma's oil. You can use extra virgin oil from Whole Foods, or you can use canola oil from Walmart. It doesn't matter, okay? It's under the name of Jesus that that oil has power, okay? It's under the name of Jesus that our faith has power. So when we come collectively in the name of Jesus and under the authority and the power of Jesus, we are able to see wondrous things. Verse 17, when the bank can come up um, at this point, verse 17, it says this, Elijah was a human as we are because he doubles down. James here doubles down on this point. He tells us this, Elijah was a human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly, he was just like us. But when he prayed with this type of faith, this type of faith that God can do the impossible, this type of faith that God can move mountains, it wasn't faith in the, the, the traditions. It wasn't faith in himself. It wasn't faith in um, whatever formula he was using. It was faith in God. When he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then... When he prayed again, the sky set down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. Why was Elijah praying that there would be no rain? Because there was a nation, the nation of Israel had turned its back on God. 
And he said, since you guys want to live outside of the will of God, you want to live outside of the covering of God, then I'm going to pray that God would show his will and show you the right path by stopping the rain. And the moment that it was time for them to experience the grace of God, the same man that prayed for the, for the sky to be shut down was the same man that prayed for the rain to calm down. And this is important because we're not all going to be meteorologists. That's not what this verse is saying. What it's saying is this, this when we come together in faith, when we come together in praying to Jesus that our faith in God is able to shut down the skies, that our faith in God when we come together collectively in prayer is able to make heaven come down. So this is why we gather. This is why we come together because we are able to lift our shields of faith for one another and cover each other in prayer. So if there are those of us that are going through a hard time, let's cover each other in prayer and shield each other. If those of us that are experiencing joy, lift up your shield and cover your brother and sister next to you. And if there's someone that is sick, let us pray and cover them in the shield of prayer so that they can step into healing. What James is telling us to do here, and I'm gonna land here with these three points. He's telling us, to come as we are and give and give God our suffering. Give Him your suffering. Whatever you're going through, whatever pain you're going through, whatever struggle you're going through, give it to God. Don't keep it in your hands. Give God your suffering. He's big enough to handle it. He'll take care of you. He doesn't just end there, but He says also, give Him your praise. Lift Him up in praise. Give Him your joy. Give Him your victory. Give Him your testimony. Because it doesn't just empower and remind you, but it empowers and reminds the person next to you. And lastly, he tells us to give God our faith. Give him your faith. Because your faith is the shield for the person that is standing next to you. When we decide, when we decide to take, to take our struggles and to get it out of our hands and put it into the hands of Jesus, we're able to see those that come and become made whole. We're able to see those that come with sorrow and experience joy. We're able to see the sick become healed when we are with